If you've been here, you know that we've been preaching through John's Gospel this year, and today I'm going to preach my first sermon not in John's Gospel of 2022. Uh, It's been been a while since we've had baptisms, so I think it's important for that to be our focus this morning. So if you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to turn to Romans 6, and we're going to read the first 14 verses. My title is simply what the title of the passage in the Scripture are, Don't uh, Died to Sin, Alive in Christ. The first 14 verses of Romans 6, they read this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any of your part to, uh, of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument. Of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Lord God, open our hearts, speak to us, draw near to us. May we not hear my words, but Lord, would you use me as an instrument and would you speak to your people? Amen. There is a very real fear for us that in the West there is an increase in the persecution of Christians. That there is, we live in lands where we see over time that the laws of the land grow further and further away from biblical truth, from the things that we know are right. And I think that's one of the things that contributes to life being so difficult to be a teenager. Much of the ideals and the values of Christianity are being eroded and the the laws and the moral systems that our nation is built on are being eroded. But I want to reflect on this passage because it speaks a little bit of this. Paul's writing to a church that knows persecution. Now, not not a couple of little changes to law persecution, not some things that that, that we're uncomfortable with persecution, but like life and death persecution. Like Nero was the emperor and the man was an utter. 
his, he would take Christians, he would set them on fire, he would light them as candles in his garden for entertainment because he enjoyed uh, killing Christians and they would light up. That, to me, is some, some serious, real-life, in-your-face persecution. Paul that writes this letter to the Romans, Paul will die under this reign, church history tells us. But what I love as we come to this passage is what is Paul's response to the persecution that the people face? A very real persecution, a life and death. If you want to love Jesus, you may have to give your life for him. It wasn't to moan. It wasn't to call for Nero to be overthrown. It was to preach salvation. I love this. I love Paul's reaction to the things that he is writing into. It is to preach Christ. And if people persecute us more, we're just going to preach Christ louder. I love it. And he spends this time in kind of Romans 6 to 8 talking to us. Romans is all this doctrine of justification by faith. The idea that we are justified not by who we are, not because of what we've done, but that salvation is a free gift from God. That by grace, through faith, we have been saved. He talks about the benefits of salvation and I'm greatly comforted by the things that he writes in this. I'm greatly comforted because no matter what happens in our nation or across this world, your call and your purpose as a Christian will never change. It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It may become more difficult at times, but it will never change. We serve a God who changes life. And what we're reading here in this passage is the details of what that then looks like. And we today as a church family and those joining us have the joy of witnessing through baptism. This passage starts by asking this question. I guess the conversation that's going on at this point is Paul's being asked, so if grace is free, Surely if we sin more, then we get more grace. Therefore, we become more holy and more like Jesus because we get more grace. Paul's response to that is, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? You've been saved from darkness, so why on earth would you want to go back there? Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, called this cheap grace. This idea that somehow grace is just something that's given to us and frivolously we can just throw away and use as we like. Call it out as a get out of jail free card. But Paul says, no way. If you know and love Jesus, if you have a real and a living faith in Jesus, you are set apart. You are different. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people of his possession that we might proclaim the excellencies of who God is to this world, that we might move from darkness into this world of glorious light. Why on earth would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back to the sinfulness that you've been saved from? What does it mean to die to sin? Well, in the way that a body is unresponsive and uninterested and unable to do anything, Likewise, that is to be our attitude to sin, dead to it, because we are more and we are different. Three things fairly quickly from this passage. Firstly, we are baptized into Jesus Christ, verses three and four. Paul reminds all of us that Jew, Gentile, all have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death and buried with him. Why? 
What is the significance of going down, staying down, not for very long, and straight back up again? It is so that we might rise in newness of life. Of course, that doesn't happen in here. That happens at the moment of regeneration, at the moment of salvation. The Spirit opens our heart, convicts us, transforms us, and saves us. And this is a symbol of that. There is no newness of life. There is no freedom of sin without the death of Jesus. To baptize, this word that is used here, Baptizo literally means immerse, submerge. Hopefully we don't have any Presbyterian scholars in here, but if you are, we can have a chat about that one. That alone for me is enough to settle that this is the right and the good and the biblical way to do baptism. We look at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3. We look at the early baptism in Acts. This is the pattern that we see immersion. As believers, we strive to live for him and, and not sin because we have died to that sin. And the symbol in baptism is that we have been buried with Jesus and have died to our old way of life so that we might rise to a life that is governed and led by the Spirit of God. Does something happen in here? Is there anything about this that is more than a symbol? No. Because that's exactly what it is. It is a symbol. It is a symbol and a proclamation of an already live faith. This ordinance, we have two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Ordinances are things that are ordained, that are commanded by the Lord Jesus. This is God's visible confirmation that, that, that we are clean from the filth of sin by Jesus when we believe. Just as an ancient seal you would make with that ring that only you would have, that you would dip in wax and you would seal that letter so that you knew exactly who it was from. That's exactly what's happening here. It is saying, I identify with Jesus. I am dead to my old self and, 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 and alive in my new self because Jesus Christ has made that my reality. He has saved me. He is the one that buries our old selves and raises us with Christ. He is the source of our regeneration, our salvation, our faith. I'd love to spend more time this morning explaining why I believe that believers' baptism like this is, is right and good and biblical. I'd love to talk about John Smith, who was the first guy who believed in really believers' baptism eh, as he broke away from the Church of England. But I don't have time, I'm afraid. But it's, it's exciting, the rediscovery of the biblical principles of believers' baptism and what it means for us and why they're so important. But we find the roots of this, that this idea of baptism wasn't new to the early believers. This wasn't some kind of brainwave. They didn't look at John the Baptist and go, what on earth are you doing? Because these were, there was a lot of fairly standard um, ceremonies, rituals that would involve water. This wasn't a strange concept. There's a couple of pools. They're called mikvahs. The one on the left, you'll see them kind of all over ancient Israel. The one on the right that some Jews will still observe today is the other pool. And there was four things that, that really from Leviticus that, that the people would use them for. Uh, a priest would use these for preparation for uh, 
A priest would use them for preparation. Those that gather for worship as they came to the temple would use them to cleanse themselves. Uh, a woman would use them uh, at the end of a certain time of the month to, to, to purify herself. And interestingly, these were used as the last stage of a Gentile converting to Judaism. The idea of immersion wasn't new to the people. The idea of this isn't some kind of strange concept to, to, to biblical history. And on the day of Pentecost, as Peter told those 3,000 who had responded to the gospel to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. These were people coming to gather for temple worship. These are people who will have already immersed themselves to be ritually clean. And in telling them to be immersed, Peter was giving them a new meaning to this tank, was giving a new meaning to what we do. Immersion now was the public way of declaring your faith, a way of publicly identifying with that death and resurrection of Jesus, the outward sign of an inner conversion. Secondly, spiritually, the old me is dead. We don't leave people under the water for very long for obvious reasons. We don't stay under the water because our Savior isn't dead. He is risen and he is alive. Very, very alive. Like his death, we don't die because he is risen. What is our old self? Our old self is not the image of God in us. It is not the abilities and the gifts that God has given us. But our old self is our old, unredeemed, lawless, and wicked self. It is our, sinless, our sinful self that does not know salvation. It is us without the Spirit of God. It is us without the law of God written on our hearts. And this is the self that died when we believed. The old self was crucified with Christ, that we might no longer be slaves to sin, but walk in newness of life. We find that in verse 9 and 10, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God's. We know that there's a number of resurrections in the Bible. The boys that Elijah and Elisha raised, the widow's son that Jesus raised and Lazarus. And these are without doubt miraculous events. But really they were more like resuscitations than they were resurrections because all these people went on to die again. There was a purpose to those events. But Jesus' resurrection was very different because he came to life never to die again. He was raised with a resurrection body because death no longer had any control over him. Nothing of the mortal world throughout his life, beyond his death and his resurrection, has any influence on him. This is great news. This is great news that we can identify with the risen Jesus. 
that in his death and resurrection, we follow and we love the conqueror of sin. Death doesn't reign over him, so it doesn't reign over me, and it doesn't reign over you. Let me encourage you this morning to walk in the light of Jesus. You have been redeemed by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you are more than your old sinful self. Let us work hard at looking to that light, at living in that light, walking in that light. And when we finish really with this guidance of how to live, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin from verse 11, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. All this freedom, all this setting free is wonderful, but it often can be very far from our reality, can't it? For us, that's because we don't have our resurrection bodies yet. That is because we still live within this world. We still live in our mortal bodies that are susceptible to temptation and to sin. And that's our reality, isn't it? That we still sin. Paul knows this. He knows this, but he encourages us. He says, you are dead to what is gone. Live for Jesus. We're encouraged, friends, to turn our life, eh, to, to, to turn our eyes, to turn our life from the things that are gone. Leave them. Leave the old self where it is. But live for righteousness. David saw Bathsheba and he didn't turn from his temptation. He let sin reign within him. Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie to God in the financial matter and they let sin reign within them. But as Potiphar's wife tried to tempt and seduce Joseph, he turned away and he ran. He chose not to let sin reign in his body. All of us make choices every day of our life. Not only when it comes to the obvious, what we would call big, though all sin grieves God, habitual sins, lifestyle sins, but also in our attitude, the words we speak, the, the thoughts of our mind and of our hearts. In verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin, grace. Those are options. One is far, far greater than the other. One promises eternal life with the creator and the sustainer of the universe. One promises eternal damnation. That's the reality and the choice for all of us. Sin or grace. Baptism is a sign of new life. It identifies us with the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. Jennifer's, Runo's, Phoebe's, their stories are very, very different. 
They each have very different families, very different gifts and talents. Their strengths, their weaknesses, their passions, their hobbies, their conversion stories, how they ended up here are all very, very different. All three of them are created, unique, and wonderful. Yet all three of them are united this morning under the conviction that they want to spend their lives living for Jesus Christ and identify themselves with his death and resurrection. That's why I love these days so much, because we get to hear these stories of how God is at work. And as they will rise from this water, may we be reminded that as Jesus came from the water and the Father spoke to him, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God sees in us the Son with whom he is well pleased. And if you were in Christ, the Father is pleased with you. Just rest in that. Marvel in that. Find such comfort and security in that fact. Maybe this morning the battle against sin feels utterly hopeless. Maybe you're asking yourself, will I ever conquer what feels like this endless battle of sin? Maybe you carry the weight of sin that not a single other soul knows about. May I encourage you that if you know and love the Lord Jesus, you have died, you have been buried, and you have been crucified with Christ, and you have been born into newness of life. All of us at one point were under the rule and the wrath and the reign of sin. However, just as we were related and joined to Adam, now we are related and joined to Christ. Let us strive to find our life in Christ. If you do not know this Lord Jesus, if you would like to know more of who he is, of the freedom and the hope and the salvation that he offers, I'd love to chat to you after this service. Let's pray. Lord God, may we never succumb to cheap grace. May we never look upon your grace frivolously. May we never look to the sacrifice of Calvary and take it for granted. But may we gaze upon you as you are revealed to us in the scriptures. May we gaze and wonder at how God could love me, at how you could reconcile me of how you could redeem me God you are awesome we thank you for your son we thank you for his sacrifice and we thank you Lord for the wonderful command of baptism Lord that we will get to observe and rejoice in Amen, Amen.